streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, whenever you're watching this. This is Andy Hines. I'm with Rick Bonfin Ministries, and obviously I'm not Rick. Rick is in Brazil, finishing up a productive trip in Brazil. Um, I'm going to do some teaching, and I want to concentrate on the parable of the sower, based out of Mark chapter 4. It's been one of the most important teachings in my life, but recently... With things going the way that they are in this country and the things that we see happening, it's important that we understand this parable. Jesus tells us that. Uh, and as Rick has been pursuing teaching us about uh, the difference between prophetic ministry and prophecy and encouraging us through his teachings on the Holy Spirit and moving into these various aspects of our ministry it's important to understand what is going to happen when we start to do this so that we don't get confused you know uh, we were airdropped into the middle of a spiritual warfare you got god pitched the enemy pitched satan and his crowd out of heaven we get launched right in the middle of it and we're in the middle of that warfare whether we like it or not there we are so it's important for us to understand the enemy's tactics. It's important for us to understand what our responsibilities are, what God's responsibility is given to us is in this, and that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to start uh, in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to open with prayer, and uh, let's just dig into it. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I'm asking you, Father, to guide me and say that which is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at Mark chapter 1. One of the things that we want to find out, uh, we learn a lot in Mark chapters 1 through 3 about Jesus and how he did what he did. And you understand, he's a model for us. He's showing us how a man filled with the Holy Spirit could operate in this world and be successful we're going to take a, a close look at what he wrote or what was written about him and what he did in Mark chapter 1. Um, starting in verse 1 and, and going up to verse 8, uh, we see the introduction of John the Baptist. Um, certainly not a secondary character here. He's an important character. But as he says, I must get less as he gets greater. And so we're going to go on down and start with chapter uh Chapter 1, verse 9, the baptism of Jesus. Now, as Jesus uh, went through, we, we can see five principles that he did, that he modeled for us in uh, Mark chapter 1. And we're going to look at those real quick and set those up as a basis for where we're going here. In uh, chapter nine or chapter 1, verse 9, from the modern English version, I'm going to be doing this whole study from the modern English version. Uh, the MEV, it's really a good version, and it's one of my favorite. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Coming up out of the water, he immediately saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, 
And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 12, the, the Spirit immediately drove him or compelled him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now, five things that we can see here that Jesus did that I believe made him successful. Why was he successful? He's showing us a pattern for it. First of all, he didn't need to be born again. We know that. He did not need to be born again. However, um, he modeled baptism for us. So what does that signify? The death of the old man, the raising to walking in new life. So he modeled for us, you've got to be born again. Number two, he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. You can see that coming up out of the water. He immediately saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Number three, and most people don't talk about this, but it's critical. Number three, in verse 11, And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, that's significant because if we look at Hebrews chapter 11, and if you just do a quick turn there, go to Hebrews 11, in verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the men of old obtained a good report, and by faith we understand the universe was framed by the word of God, so that things that are seen are made out of things which are not visible. Now, I want you to understand, it doesn't say that God made the world out of nothing. He said you made it out of stuff you can't see. That's critical. Now, verse 6 in, he, in Hebrews 11 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God. Without faith it's impossible to please God. So we go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 11. It says, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was operating by faith. And the same rules applied to faith for him as it does to us. He didn't know the answer to a lot of the things that he did. He just believed God and stepped out and did it because God told him to, knowing that God had things under control. And the Lord said, go do it. He did it. He didn't do it because he knew what was going to happen. He did it because the Lord told him to do it. And he had faith in what God told him to do. Now, the fourth thing that happened to him says the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness or compelled him to go into the wilderness. Another thing that this models for us is we need to go into the wilderness and face the enemy. There's an, a lot of us have had difficult backgrounds. We've learned things. We've seen things. We've done things. We've had things happen to us. We've done things to other people. We have a, a past that is like a wilderness. And the enemy, that's where he does his best work is in the wilderness. So Jesus went into the wilderness and faced the enemy. And while he was in there, I believe without a doubt, he heard what he was called to do. That's the fourth thing. 
in the wilderness, as you work through the wilderness, whatever your wilderness might be, could be a wilderness of alcohol, could be a wilderness of, of abuse, surviving abuse, uh, bad whatever that wilderness is, as you go into it and take it head on, God is going to show you what it is that he wants you to do. Then the fifth thing is you go out and do it. Now, it's interesting. Let's talk about the wilderness experience, and we don't have time to go there, but I'll give you two verses, Luke 4.1 and Luke 4.14. Luke 4.1 is an expansion of, of this experience that Jesus had. Matthew 4 is the same thing. It's an expansion of this, but Luke 4.1 says that when Jesus went into the desert, he was full of the Holy Spirit. We can see that. We saw that right here. But Luke 4.14 says when he came out of the desert, he was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, did the Holy Spirit just gain power while he was in the desert? No. But Jesus, during that time, accessed the power of the Holy Spirit and began and was able to operate in it. That's how he defeated the enemy. Um, now, so those five things are the first part of what we need to model before we can even move in anything from God. We've got to be born again. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need to operate in faith. We need to face our deserts and find out what it is that God wants us to do. When we find that out, we go do it. Those are the five things. Now, as we look at a number of other things here that Jesus did, after he comes out, he begins teaching. He goes into the synagogues and teaches. And I want you to listen. There's something happens. You can see this in Luke 5. You can see it right here. As he walked in verse 16, chapter 1 of Mark, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, throwing a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Number 18, verse 18. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. I want you to remember that. Go down to verse 19. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with no hired, with the hired servants and followed him. Now, there's something now about his voice, something about what he's doing that enabled these men to drop everything that they were doing and follow him. John and James who Jesus called the sons of thunder later on. He said um, he, they wanted to call fire down on heaven from some people because they didn't do what they thought they should do. But these guys left what they were doing. They were professional fishermen. John and James pulled in the boat. They dropped the nets. They didn't clock out. They didn't clean up. They didn't say goodbye. They just took off and followed this guy. What is it about him? What is it? What's going on? What is it about him that it enables him to have that kind of impact on people? We'll, we'll look on a little farther. So from there they go to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he enters the synagogue. Here we see a pattern of problems that Jesus always seems to run into. 
because he does the things that he does on the Sabbath, and that just doesn't work out for the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and, and, and all the other C's down there. They didn't like it. Now, but let's look at it. Uh, they were astonished. He entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. He taught them as one having authority. Taught them as one having authority. What does that mean? What What is the authority that he has? Now, if we go back and look in, in uh, Mark chapter 1 and look at verse 14, after John was put in prison Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God the gospel of the kingdom of God that's what he's preaching okay and um, uh, as John Ortberg describes him here he's a kingdom bringer and in that part of the world in that time with Rome and uh, all of the things that uh, that Rome did like to be a kingdom bringer puts you in conflict directly with Caesar Okay, when you start talking about a different kingdom, you're, you're going to cross swords with, with Caesar at some point. Now, let's go down to verse, in chapter 1, look over uh, verse 22. He says, he taught them as one having authority. Now, when he leaves, there was a man with an unclean spirit. In verse 24, he cried out, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Now, this is an interesting uh, set of scriptures here, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this much later when we get into to Mark chapter 4. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Now, the Greek word there says that says where it's written, Be silent means be muzzled. It's only used twice in the New Testament, here and in Mark 4. Be muzzled, okay? Don't you just shut up and don't say anything? That's what he's saying to him. Now, when the unclean spirit convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, it came out of him. Verse twenty-seven. They were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, "What is this new teaching? And with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him." So Jesus is having an impact on these people. Because he's teaching the word, he's teaching the uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, verse twenty-eight. Immediately, his fame spread everywhere throughout the region surrounding Galilee. As Jesus walked in his calling, people followed him in droves. He was effective at what he did. Okay, let's go on down and look at. Um, he heals Simon. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. So uh, he lifted her up from a fever. He spoke to the fever, and the fever responded. That's interesting. But verse thirty-two, chapter one. In the evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were possessed with demons. The whole city gathered at his door. This is critical. And if I had a map that that I could show you here you'd see that in the area of Capernaum's up on the on the shore of the of the lake 
that there are people coming from all around because they've heard that this guy has something that nobody else has. What is it that they have? Well, we're going to see a number of things happen to him here uh, that are going to put us in a perspective to understand what happened to him. Now, he healed all those who were sick and those who were possessed with demons. The whole city gathered at his door, and he healed many who were sick with various disease and cast out many demons. And he did not let the demons speak because they knew him. Now, in verse 35, this is, this is really important. In the morning, rising up a great while before sunrise, he went out and departed to a solitary place. This is a pattern that he does. He goes and he spends time with God. That's what I say. He hears what it is that he's called to do. So he goes and spends time with God. What's on the agenda for today? The Lord says, well, I want you to do this and I want you to do that. Go speak to this guy. Go preach in that city. Go do these various things. That's what we're here to do. Now, as we proceed, let's go on a little bit farther. In the morning, rising up before sunlight, and there he prayed. He prayed. He's talking to God during this time. Now, Simon and those who were with him followed him and said, Everyone is searching for you. Now, listen to what he learned. Listen to what he learned while he was in that solitary place praying and talking to the Lord. In verse 38, he said to them, Let's go into the nearby towns that I may preach there, for this is why I have come. Now, his response to everyone, his response to everyone there uh, that said that to him, he says, this is why I was called. So Jesus goes in, spends time in prayer, talks to him, finds out what he's called to do. Now he's going to go do it. See? Goes back to those five things. He's born again, and he's modeling that. He didn't need to be born again. I can't say that enough, but he modeled it for us. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's operating in faith. He's gone into the desert. He's heard what he's supposed to do, and now he's going to go do it. We see this right here. This is what he's talking about. Now, verse 39, So he preached in their synagogues throughout Galilee and cast out demons. He went and did what he was called to do. Now, verse 40. A leper came to him, pleading with him, and kneeling before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, extended his hand, touched him, and said, I will be clean. If I'm willing... Be clean. Verse 42, as soon as he had spoken, the leprosy immediately departed from him, and he was cleansed. Okay? Now, look at verse 43. Very interesting set of scriptures here. He sternly warned him and sent him away at once, saying, See that you see nothing, say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But look what happens in verse 45. Instead, he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news around so that Jesus could no more openly enter the city, 
but was out in remote places, and they came to him from every quarter. Now, this is really significant because here Jesus knows what he's called to do. He's going to do it. He's headed out. He said up there, this is why I was called to go preach in these towns. Now, he gives a specific instruction to a guy. Don't go blab off about your healing, but go to Moses and go through the prescribed cleansing that you would show that, that, that indicates you've been clean. In other words, stick to the law. Do what we're required to do. The guy doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. And what he ends up doing is he goes out and just proclaims it widely, throws his arms out, says, Jesus healed me. Now, that's a great testimony, but that's not what he was supposed to do. Now, why he did what he did, I'm sure the excitement of being cleansed of leprosy, I'm sure that overwhelmed him. But we have an enemy, and the enemy wants us to destroy wants to destroy everything that God is trying to do for us. And in this case, and we'll, we'll see it as we get over into Mark chapter 4, uh, we'll learn a little bit about it, the parable of the sower. When the sower sows the word, Satan comes immediately to steal it from him. So now he is not able to go do what it was that he was called to do. He can't go preach there but says he was unable to openly enter the city, but was in remote places. However, they came to him from every quarter. Now, that's how interesting is that, that he came to him from, the, from every quarter. They came to him everywhere that he went. So what is it that he's got going for him? This is, this, this is the question. This is what we want to look at, because this is serious stuff. What is it that enables him to do that? We have prayer lines at church. I'm sure your church, you have the same kind of situation where people go in and pray, and we want to see success. We do not want to see a situation where we go pray for somebody. You know, I, what, what we hear is, well, uh, I I. You know, I had a headache, and you prayed, and my headache's a lot better. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. People tend to poo-poo, but I'm not. She says here that, that Jesus went and prayed for a fever, and the fever broke, and Mom got up and, and served everybody, you know, biscuits and beans or whatever they had back then. So in this situation, it's important to understand that what we're called to do we need to do it exactly. That involves the ability to hear God. That is another entirely, uh, that's another session. That's just another whole new series is about how to hear God, what, what God sounds like when he's talking, what, how does he speak to us. But in this case, the power of God was so strong on this guy that people came from all over to hear him. They tracked him down. And uh, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have iPhones yet, uh, they didn't have any of those things. And how did they do it? Word of mouth. And it traveled fast. That's how they got to him. This guy over here, in this city over here, is praying for people, and the demons are getting thrown out, lepers are being healed, all of these good things are happening. 
And there's no way in that you can say anything other than he's got something that the Pharisees and the scribes and our teachers don't have. Now, quickly, let's look at chapter 2 and let's look at the calling uh, the, where uh, he begins to minister and we, we see these the tremendous things that he's doing in detail. Again, verse chapter 2, verse 1. He entered Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was in the house. Immediately, when people found out where he was, many gathered together so that there was no room to receive them, not even at the door. Same problem that we've had before. People are coming from all over. And he preached the word to them. Don't forget that. He preached the word to them. They came to him bringing one sick with paralysis who was carried by four men. When they could not come near him due to the crowding, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it open, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, now he's starting to get into some, some difficult territory. Immediately, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the other people there began reasoning in their hearts. So in other words, they're thinking it. They're not saying it, they're just thinking it. Why does this man speak such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're having to, they've identified a problem. They come up with the wrong solution. They have identified something. Excuse me just a moment, folks. I don't know who that is, so we'll just let them. Way well, I am expecting an important phone call, so that just didn't happen to be it. Now, um, we go back to this. You may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, "Which is you know, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise up your bed and walk? But so that you know." that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your bed and walk. And he went out in front of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified. God saying, they glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, um, he goes on in that chapter uh, and he calls Levi. And one of the patterns that we see as we follow through uh, these these chapters and they start having a lot of questions and they're starting to follow things along and we'll, we'll begin the next session we'll start talking about chapter 3 real quick and then we'll move into the meat of the matter which is the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4 and I would encourage you to read Mark 4 Matthew 13 and Luke 8 and, and, and see the scope of this you know the gospels are like uh, mountain climbers they're, we're, they're all on the same mountain, but they may be on the east side. One guy may be on the west side. One guy may be on the north side. And they see the same mountain, but they see it differently. And uh, we're going to get some different perspectives on the parable of the sower, especially from Matthew and, and um, Mark. But in the process of doing that, it's important for us to understand what Jesus has been doing. He watched what he was doing. He, 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 he listened to the Lord. 
heard what he was called to do, and he went and did it. Now, in the process of doing that, people just surrounded him. But why are the Pharisees having so much problem? It's interesting that who can forgive sins? They understand the process. They understand that God's the one that can forgive sin, but they don't understand that this guy can do that. They, 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 they're just coming, slamming into the principles that Jesus is, is God, but they don't know what to do with it yet. They, this is upside, upside down in their life. And that's one of the things that Jesus does that gets him in trouble is everything that he's bringing to teach these guys is off their radar screen. This is new stuff to them. He is turning everything they believed upside down. I know this happened to me when I was um, baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is new stuff. Now, the situation that I was in, I, I, I was ready for it. I didn't have any problems. The problems other people have, well, I don't understand about this, that, and the other. Those things didn't make any sense to me because if God is who God says he is, if Jesus is who he says he is and he is, then the things that we think are silly, there's no big deal to him. Raising somebody from the dead from the author of life and the creator of the universe, not a big deal. See? Having someone speak in tongues, not a big deal to him. Especially the one that, that, that overwhelms me is when they people get upset about the Virgin Mary. They can't have a virgin birth. Well, sure you can. This is the guy that created the whole process. You think it's that big of a deal for him to have a little girl get pregnant without having sex with a guy? No, it's not. So I understood that. And, but, but those things are things that turn what we believed upside down. That's one of the problems that the Pharisees had. And we're going to look at that and at what the impact that's going to have on our lives. So just remember five things that Jesus modeled for us. He was born again, modeled being born again. He didn't need to be, but he did, modeled it. Uh, we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have him operating in faith. We have him facing his desert going into the desert, and we have him finding out what he's called to do, and number five is he went and did it. Uh, we'll speak more on that coming next. Thank you for your time. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. I hope that the word has gone forth as it should, that we've received from you, Father. We look forward to the next time, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let me get things closed down here, remember. I got to do this by myself. I'll see you tomorrow.